Hey, greetings everybody and welcome back to Legalese. Today is the conclusion of my episode looking at Brunson versus Adams. Uh, this is also known as Docket 22-380, also known as the Brunson case. Now, if you haven't watched the first video, you really should go back and watch that. Uh, I'll have a link to that video in a little card uh, up in the corner of this video right about now. Or if you're not on YouTube, you can just go look in the video description. Anyways, the last video we discussed the question presented in Brunson's case, uh, and today we will be looking at the statement of the facts of the case, and then at the end I will also be giving my opinion on uh, just how his latest iteration of his lawsuit will be decided. He just had a, uh, a petition for rehearing go before the court in private conference the other day. Let me real quick just welcome you all back to the show. This is Legalese. I am your host, Bob. Thank you so much for joining me here today. Uh, if you are new to this show, uh, a special welcome to you. Uh, this is a podcast where we're going to be discussing all things constitutional law, as well as other current events in law, politics, and culture. Now, this show is available on a number of different platforms. If you like the video version, you can find that on YouTube, Rumble, and Odyssey. If you want to watch or if you want to listen to the audio only version that is over on Anchor and Spotify. And you can both watch and listen over on Substack as well as uh, reading a lot of really good articles that I have written over the years over there about issues of constitutional law. Uh, and also find a good show notes page over there. So all the documents that we will be discussing here today, you will find links to all of those over on the Substack page. And if you're interested, you can go check out my book, Constitutional Sleight of Hand, An Explicit History of Implied Powers. Uh, this book just came out, uh, and it is something that I wrote about the implied powers doctrine and looking at the history and progression of this doctrine, uh, and then me offering some of my own uh, suggestions on how we could begin to uh, roll this back to a truly constitutionally sound uh, legal doctrine. So you can find links to all of those things down in the video description. And with that, let's conclude our look at the Raylan Brunson case. All right, next up, we are going to read through his statement of fact. Now, the statement of fact is uh, the most important part after the QP in the petition, because this is where you uh, show all your evidence that proves that the question presented in your case is a valid one, uh, and it, it's supposed to answer uh, every question that you would find uh, reasonably uh, thereunder. So, his statement of the case begins, This action is against 388 federal officers in their official capacities, including President Joseph Robinette Biden, Jr., Vice President Kamala Harris, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi, and former Vice President Michael Richard Pence. All the respondents have taken the required oath to support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, and as such, they are liable for consequences when they violate their oath of office. Respondents were properly warned and were requested to make an investigation into a highly covert, swift, and powerful enemy, as stated below, seeking to destroy the Constitution of the United States. Respondents 
purposely thwarted all efforts to investigate this, whereupon this enemy was not checked or investigated. Therefore, respondents adhered to this enemy. Because of respondents' intentional refusal to investigate this enemy, petitioner Raylan J. Brunson brought this action against respondents because he was seriously personally damaged and violated by this action of respondents, and consequently, this action unilaterally violated the rights of every citizen of the United States and perhaps the rights of every person living and all courts of law. He goes on to say, on January 6, 2021, the 117th Congress held a proceeding and debate in Washington, D.C. I want to stop and quickly correct him there. It wasn't a debate. Uh, it, it wasn't even technically a proceeding. It was what is known as a special proceeding. Uh, and it, it certainly was not a debate. This is a ceremonial function. Uh, but anyways, continuing with the petition. He says the proceeding was for the purpose of counting votes under the 2020 presidential election for the president and vice president of the United States of America under Amendment 12. During the proceeding, 100 members of the U.S. Congress claimed factual evidence that the election was rigged. That is also not true. They, at best, claimed that they had evidence of suspicion that maybe, you know, something wasn't quite right. They did, No one actually offered factual evidence that the election was rigged at that time. Now, he goes on to say the refusal of the respondents to investigate this congressional claim is an act of treason and fraud by respondents. A successfully rigged election has the same end result as an act of war. To place in power whom the victor, whom the victor wants, which in this case is Biden, who, if not stopped immediately, will continue to destroy the fundamental freedoms of Brunson and all U.S. citizens and courts of law. Due to the fact that this case represents a national security breach on an unprecedented level like never before seen, seriously damaging and violating Brunson, and coincidentally affects every citizen of the USA and courts of law, therefore, Brunson moves this court to grant this petition or in the alternative, without continuing further, Order the trial court to grant Brunson's complaint in its fullest. Brunson's complaint is the mechanism that can immediately remove the respondent from office without leaving this country vulnerable, without a president and vice president. He says, despite the grave importance of this case, the trial court granted respondent's motion to dismiss by stating it is order and a judge that the plaintiff rule in Brunson's actions were dismissed without prejudice. This order followed the trial court's order to adopt its report and recommendations that Brunson did not get until close of the beginning of October 2022. Thus, the order did not properly address Brunson's opposition to the motion, and Brunson's opposition clearly shows that Brunson has standing. Per Brunson's opening brief, and as outlined in Brunson's said opposition, both not properly addressed by the lower courts, Brunson had standing, and the trial court had full and proper jurisdiction to rule on the merits of the case based upon the following factors. A. The case of American Bush v. Salt Lake, or, American Bush v. City of South Salt Lake in 2006 is the case out of Utah, uh, and it says it clearly states, the Constitution of the United States, along with state constitutions, do not grant rights to the people. 
These instruments measure the power of the rulers, but they do not measure the rights of the governed. And they are not the fountain of law, nor the origin of the people's rights, but they have been put in place to protect their rights. Therefore, the statutes and case law cited by respondents claiming immunity from Brunson's claim in this instance are unconstitutional, and this court needs to rule in that manner. Second, he says, the enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people, uh, which is a direct quote right from the Ninth Amendment. Uh, he goes on, he says, therefore, the purpose of the Constitution was written to protect our self-evident rights. The Constitution cannot be construed by any means, by any law, to deny or disparage our rights. This is the supreme law of the land, the Constitution, and laws of the United States which shall be made in pursuance thereof, shall be the supreme law of the land, and the judges in every state shall be bound thereby. Article 6 of the Constitution. He says, third, the First Amendment of the Constitution states that Congress shall make no law prohibiting the right of the people to petition the government for redress of grievances. Next, our courts have consistently held that fraud vitiates whatever it touches, and to support that, he quotes Morris v. Harris, which is a case out of uh, Texas court, uh, Estate of Stone Cipher v. Uh, Estate of Butts, uh, which appears to be a uh, district court case. And he goes on to give another quote uh, that it is a stern but just maxim of law that fraud vitiates everything into which it enters. And that comes from a case known as Veterans Service Club v. Sweeney, again, appears to be uh, a district court case. And Radio Shack v. ComSmart, uh, again, appears to be another district court case. He then goes on to define the word vitiate. And he says, vitiate means to impair or make void, to destroy or annul, either completely or partially, the force and effect of an act or instrument. And that's according to West's Encyclopedia of American Law, Edition 2. His next point, due to the uniqueness of this case, the trial court does not have proper authority to remove the respondents from their office under 18 U.S.C. section 2381, which states, quote, whoever owing allegiance to the United States levies war against them or adheres to their enemies, giving them aid and comfort within the United States or elsewhere is guilty of treason and shall suffer death or be imprisoned not less than five years and fined under this title, but not less than $10,000, and shall be incapable of holding any office under the United States, end quote. He goes on to say that a court adjudicating that the respondents who have taken the oath of office to be incapable of holding their offices or who have adhered to a domestic enemy means nothing without such removal from office. Furthermore, he says, under the state of factors, Brunson had an unfettered right to sue the respondents under the serious nature of the claim. No legislation can measure Brunson's right to sue the respondents. Furthermore, Brunson's allegations against the respondents adhering to a domestic enemy and committing acts of fraud are not protected by any kind of legislation or jurisdictional immunity. Uh, this is where he really kind of starts to sound like a sovereign citizen here, where, uh, you know, the law literally protects absolutely everything I want it to. And even when it says the opposite of that, it's not true because I have all the rights and you have nothing. So the law is the law, except when it's inconvenient that it isn't the law. 
anyways, so he goes on here. These are facts that cannot be overcome. Therefore, Brunson found no need to include in this petition a copy of respondents' opposition to Brunson's opening brief or any of their arguments. Nevertheless, Brunson's opening brief does not touch upon respondents' immunity arguments and shows how respondents do not, nor can they, overcome Brunson's arguments as stated herein. It is an uncontestable fact that the respondents committed fraud and treason, breaching our national security, as factually alleged in Brunson's complaint, thus adhering to a domestic enemy that continues to breach our national security at an alarming rate on a daily basis. This national security breach is having the same end result as an act of war, to place into power whom the respondents want, which is Biden. Brunson moves the court with its powers to order the trial court of this case to immediately grant to Brunson the damage he seeks in his complaint. This is necessary and immediately secure our national security without any further delay. Turning now to the doctrine of equitable maxim created by this court, the doctrine stands in direct conflict of the doctrine of the object principle of justice. The doctrine of the object principle of justice is couched by the supreme law of the land and sets in motion to provide our court systems to be the most just, limited, highly effective, and easy to understand and infuses our court system to be the most highly respected and dearly admired court system greater than the world has ever seen. The doctrine of equitable maxim kills this, and had the trial court been guided by the object principle of, government, of, of justice, this appeal would not be necessary. In addition, he says, the doctrine of the object principle of justice stops the precarious nature of our courts. Their jobs would be much easier with less stress, and parties in court would have a stronger sense of how the court is going to rule, thus promoting settlements to high degrees, and as such, lawsuits and appeals would be greatly reduced. This is an absolute fact, he says. And he finishes by saying, Jurisprudence requires this court to revoke the doctrine of equitable maxim that is created to instill the doctrine of the object principle of justice, and thoroughly throughout the entire court system in America. The doctrines of equitable maxim and the object principle of government are fully explained in a petition before this court under docket 18-1147. To avoid being repetitious, Brunson herein incorporates the argument found therein, as though fully stated herein, and moves this court to address the question either under this petition or docket number 18-1147. And if you remember earlier, I told you that when I was looking up object principle of justice, uh, that I found it in two court documents. The one was the one is this one, which is, uh, as everyone refers to, a docket twenty two three eighty, even though it's really Brunson v. Adams. And the other one is this one, eighteen dash eleven forty seven, which is uh, just another lawsuit also filed by Brunson. So the only place this exists is in things that he has made up. So towards the beginning of this video, I made a comment that uh, said, I believe I'm quoting myself exactly here, that for the purpose of our discussion, it makes absolutely no difference what anyone else's opinion of the election controversy may be.
So it's time for me to further explain what I meant by that. Uh, to start by stating what is painfully obvious, clearly, Raylan Brunson believes that the 2020 election was rigged, that Donald Trump truly was the winner, and Joe Biden truly was the loser. Now, that may very well be true. As I said to begin with, I take absolutely no stand on whether Joe Biden or Donald Trump won the election as a matter of fact. Who knows? Perhaps Brunson has the sorts of hard, undeniable, overwhelming evidence that the election was stolen, just the kind of evidence that his lawsuit would lead you to believe he had. The obvious issue here is that he has not even attempted to provide a shred of that evidence whatsoever. Remember, the statement of the facts is the place where you are supposed to prove the allegations made in the question presented. Now, he clearly, in the question presented, makes allegations of committing treason and rigging an election. And we just went through the place where he was supposed to prove that, and he didn't even try. So here's the thing. He may think Donald Trump won, but, and this is something I brought up before, law isn't about what you think. It is about what you know, and more importantly, it's about what you know you can prove. In fact, I think the last time I brought that up would have been around 2020 when we were discussing Trump's Texas v. Pennsylvania lawsuit. But anyways, because uh, Brunson's case necessarily rests upon accepting as fact that the election was rigged, no court can or should take judicial notice of any such claim without evidence. If I filed a lawsuit today and I said Joe Biden needs to be removed from office immediately and Raylan Brunson needs to be thrown in jail for sedition, conspiracy to commit treason and fraud because I won the 2020 election and every day Joe Biden is sitting in office and Raylan Brunson is out there saying this guy Trump is the rightful president, they are both infringing my right to participate in a free and fair election. Now, that is obviously a ridiculous and fruitless challenge on my part, uh, and I am quite sure that it would not get any respect whatsoever or consideration for that matter from either Joe Biden or Raylan Brunson, and rightfully so. However, at least as far as Brunson is concerned, I have already provided just as much evidence to prove my claim that I won the election as he has provided to prove Trump won the election. We can't decide cases based on what I call the squish face doctrine. I've always known somewhere deep down inside me where, where the special place is inside forever. Yeah, that's right. I, I can't prove I won uh, just by saying I know it to be true. I've always known it to be true. Somewhere deep down inside me were the special places inside forever. And since Brunson thinks it's perfectly reasonable to make up legal maxims and doctrines out of thin air and then offer these things uh, and make them sound like they are legally sound evidence, I could just say, well, okay, the squish face doctrine makes it clear that I was the winner. Both Brunson and his doctrine of the object principle of government uh, are really no different than myself and my squish face doctrine here as far as the demands that we are making. Uh, this one's named squish face and we are out of here. Wait. Now, it's entirely possible that Brunson actually has everything he would need to prove the election was truly stolen. 
or he may have absolutely nothing concrete at all to back up his claims. It doesn't matter. Because if he does have it, the fact he didn't even explain what the evidence was, much less actually submitted to the court, he didn't prove at all that the election even might have been rigged, as opposed to saying definitely been rigged. He kind of switches back and forth between those at different points in his case, but he doesn't make either of those points, and he provides no evidence for either one. So, he says at, at the very least, there was uh, enough evidence that something happened that Congress needed to investigate uh, this claim. But he didn't offer any evidence of that either. He just decided to uh, back it up by maybe it was rigged, therefore they need to investigate. So, if this evidence of a rigged election exists, the court cannot take judicial notice of his claim and to all his supporters uh you need to realize that the reason that his case has been repeatedly referred to as frivolous by the lower courts is precisely for this reason and if you don't believe me here it is this is the judgment in the circuit court case this argument is frivolous and they're absolutely right Now, the reason the courts keep granting uh, the respondent's motion to dismiss is because he, Rayland Brunson, is the one who filed a lawsuit and made allegations and gave absolutely no evidence whatsoever to back up his claim. They have no choice but to throw this out. And... I guess on a personal note, if anyone out there believes they actually have this evidence that exists that proves Trump won the election, I got to ask, why have you not bothered to provide it? But now, see, the problem with Brunson's case is not that this dark, shadowy cabal that supposedly rigged the election are now also acting to prevent his case from being successful. The only reason Brunson hasn't been successful is because he made extraordinary claims. And not only did he fail to provide extraordinary evidence, he failed to provide any evidence. It was Brunson's own inadequate actions that have put him in a position where not only is there no evidence that the election was won by Donald Trump, which would obviously be required to do what he is asking, which is to kick Joe Biden out of office and put Trump in office. He hasn't even provided the evidence that the Congress had any reason whatsoever to think that the election might have possibly been rigged and therefore deserved to be investigated before validating the election results. And if there was no reason to investigate, then Congress didn't act to thwart an investigation like he claims. And as far as the court is concerned, they have no choice but to assume that there was no reason for Congress to first investigate because he gave them none, which means that there was no reason for them to hold off on validating the election results, in which, to be clear, uh, what he is talking about here, this January 6th date, this is not the decisive point in the election that he thinks it is. That decisive point happened nearly a month earlier uh, on what is known as the safe harbor date of December 15th. 
Now, maybe if Brunson bothered to read the Constitution uh, instead of just yelling about it, he would have realized that the legislatures with the power to refuse to validate the votes that count because of some kind of suspicion of wrongdoing are the state governments. They have the power to validate the election, not Congress. The counting of the electoral votes on January 6th was a purely ceremonial event. Now, I explained many times in several videos and articles back around December of 2020 and January of 2021 how nothing in Article 2 or the 12th Amendment or any federal statute actually give the vice president the ability to simply not count the votes that provide an outcome he doesn't like. Especially since that losing vice president would have so much to gain by abusing that power. Which is why it's a good thing that power doesn't actually exist, and I highly doubt he would want that power to exist if it was anybody except the one person that he wants in power who had it. But now... To the main point here, because Brunson's suit gives the court no evidence that the election was stolen or even enough evidence to say, hang on, something's fishy. Maybe we should investigate this and see if it was not fair somehow. And they didn't have enough of that to a degree that Congress should have first investigated. Uh, and if that's what they had or did not have, then the court had no choice but to say or, or, or to assume that he is suing Congress because he thinks they should have investigated nothing. When you provide nothing for them to take judicial, judicial notice of, then there's nothing for them to investigate, legally speaking. If Congress had nothing to investigate, then the proper course of action would have been the one they took that day because it would have simply been to count the votes, especially considering they had already, as I said, been validated because they don't validate election results. So, when it comes to the investigation, what Congress should have done was nothing, which is precisely what they did. In fact, should they have done what he asked them to do, that would have been violating their oath of office. Here, they violated nothing, including their oath. But let's get back to his case specifically and why the court, according again to the law, has repeatedly called Brunson's suit frivolous and dismissed it, despite the fact that far from the court being biased against him as he has been claiming this whole time, uh, they have actually given him as much of the benefit of the doubt as they possibly can, in spite of the fact that, as far as I can tell, this guy is a total scoundrel and carpetbagger. But all the same... He is a pro se litigant, and one fairly admirable trait about our court system, and especially our federal court system, is that their tolerance of mistakes by pro se litigants is very good in um, understanding that people who don't have a background in law, uh, you know, might not get everything perfect to the letter the way an attorney would. Uh, and I, I do think it is a good thing that we make it uh, as easy as possible for common citizens to be able to file lawsuits and navigate our court system. When people who are trained in the practice of law construe a pro se filing, such as what was submitted by Mr. Brunson in his petition for writ of certiorari, the filing should be construed as liberally as possible in his favor without a court acting as his advocate. 
and the court recognized this very clearly in the Tenth Circuit. They said right, right in their opinion, we construe Mr. Brunson's pro se filings liberally, but we may not act as his advocate. And what that means is they have to give him uh, the benefit of the doubt and give him as much uh, assistance as possible without actually giving him legal advice. That is the line that is drawn here. It, they are as helpful as they can without acting in any way that it's giving him legal advice, which would be uh, a violation of ethics. But even if I construed all the facts as liberally in Brunson's favor as possible, uh, and I was to concede that because Brunson surely must have evidence to back up his claim that the election was stolen, it wouldn't matter. Now, one element of a question presented that we have discussed already here is it is the statement of any question presented is deemed to comprise every subsidiary question fairly included therein. Only the question set out in the petition or fairly included therein will be considered by the court. And in the section of the cert petition covering statements of fact to the case, the Supreme Court ruled very clearly instruct a concise statement of the case setting out the facts material to consideration of the question presented. This means because he chose to make a claim in his question presented that their failure to investigate the so-called fraudulent election results constitutes a national security breach and a violation of their oaths of office, he also created an obligation placed upon himself to set out all facts material to the consideration of his claim that the election was fraudulent. If he fails to provide facts sufficient to prove his allegation of fraud, the court is entirely incapable of taking judicial notice of any claim about a rigged, stolen, or fraudulent election that is based on that unproven fact. This means that every other element of the case whose relevance is qualified by the claim of election fraud also become immaterial to the case. And Brunson didn't even attempt to offer so much as a scrap of evidence that even comes close to substantiating his blind pronouncements that this election was fraudulent or rigged uh, in any sense of those words. So how does that arguably indispensable omission affect the arguments he does make in his statements of facts of the case? Now, again, for the sake of argument, I am going to employ here uh, the rule of liberal construction uh, even further than the reasonable limit of that doctrine as defined in the federal rules of appellate procedure. So I, I'm doing this because I don't want this case's supporters to accuse my analysis of being uncharitable. So let's pretend that every request by any citizen to investigate any vague, unsubstantiated claim of malfeasance is a prima facie violation of a congressman's oath of office if they do not see that through. That would still be legally insufficient to bring this cause of action because the justices cannot take judicial notice of the fraudulent election claims. The court would have no choice but to read the allegation as follows. We requested Congress investigate nothing. 
since they didn't investigate nothing, they violated their oath of office. Likewise, his preceding claim uh, that he makes is that the action of the respondents personally damaged and violated the rights of the petitioner and thus provided legal standing to hear this case. We already know this is an erroneous argument because the district court found that and the circuit court affirmed it. This is from the circuit court's decision. They said, as the magistrate judge explained, the relevant Article Three standing inquiry is whether the party seeking relief has alleged such a personal stake in the outcome of the controversy as to assure concrete averseness. And a plaintiff like Mr. Brunson, who raises only a generally available grievance about government claiming only harm to his and every citizen's interest in proper application of the Constitution and laws and seeking relief that no more directly and tangibly benefits him than it does the public at large, does not state an Article Three case or controversy. But even if we follow Brunson's lead and pretend that the court never said that, the only possible way the Supreme Court could interpret this claim in his cert petition would be that the petitioner requested Congress to investigate nothing. However, instead, Congress chose not to investigate nothing. But since investigating nothing would have been precisely the same outcome as not investigating nothing, there is no difference between these related choices uh, of taking action and choosing inaction. There is no conceivable harm that he can claim. There are more examples one could describe that, that demonstrate it was his choice alone not to provide the material facts required to substantiate his initial claim of a fraudulent election, but we have other issues to discuss that I haven't even touched on yet, so we are going to have to move along dealing with those, though I think there's a good chance I will be making another video about this guy soon because uh, he had a case that was uh, heard in conference uh, on Friday the 17th, uh, and so... Oh, it, by the way, someone asked me for my prediction of the outcome of that, and it's going to be the exact same as the outcome of his other three suits that we've been talking about, uh, except this time, instead of uh, dismissing without prejudice, prejudice, this time it will be dismissed with prejudice, meaning the court will not allow him to file anything further. Uh, I'm very sure that's how it's going to come out. I wanted to get that out there, so when I'm right, it sounds even more impressive. There are more examples one could describe that demonstrate how it was his choice alone not to provide the material facts required to substantiate his initial claim of a fraudulent election, but we have many other issues to discuss I haven't even touched on yet, so we are going to have to move along to dealing with those. Now, another troubling aspect is Brunson's clear disregard for separation of powers. If you believe people elected into office have not lived up to their oath of office, the Constitution provides you with the means to kick these people out of office. If you believe what the members of Congress did was an abrogation of their oath and you want them out of office because they didn't defend the Constitution to your satisfaction, do you really not see a problem with eschewing the constitutional remedy of impeachment provided to handle these exact situations? And while I may not agree that what these people did was a violation of their oath, since, as I have already stated, it is the state legislatures who validate election results, not Congress, 
However, if you want to follow the constitutional process for removing people you feel to be corrupted from power, I completely support your ability to bring articles of impeachment against them. That's what they're there for. That is the only remedy that someone who is truly worried about defending the Constitution should really consider. Asking the court to do the legislature's work because you uh, feel that these politicians didn't follow the Constitution makes a mockery of your cause. And I want to discuss a portion of the lawsuit where he alleges treason because... This is yet another point where he, in the name of defending the Constitution, proposes something that would actually do far greater violence to the Constitution than what he is alleging has been done. Now, his argument as to why what Congress did qualifies as treason was summed up very well in the district court's order and judgment, so I'm going to turn to that. So they said Mr. Brunson's claims are based on inter alia, the United States Constitution, and defendants sworn oath to support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Mr. Brunson, alle Mr. Brunson alleges that defendants violated the Constitution and their respective oaths by intentionally refusing to ensure an honest and fair election. Additionally, and more specifically, Mr. Brunson asserts that members of Congress are obligated to reject electoral college vote submissions from states whose electoral systems are so badly flawed as to render their vote submissions unreliable, untrustworthy, and unworthy of acceptance. Mr. Brunson claims that despite this obligation during the January 6, 2021 proceeding to count electoral college votes, defendants knowingly mocked their oaths and became enemies of the U.S. Constitution they swore to protect by allowed, allowing fraudulent votes to be counted. They go on. According to Mr. Brunson, the 2020 presidential election was rigged in every single state, and despite evidence of voter and election fraud, defendants intentionally refused to investigate the evidence and conspired to cover up this evidence. Mr. Brunson argues that the defendant's conduct constituted an attack on the U.S. Constitution that resulted in their fraudulent inauguration of President Biden and Vice President Harris. Now, Brunson's argument here does conform to a form of treason that is recognized at common law in the Statute of Treasons that was issued by Royal Proclamation of Edward III in 1351. And constructive treason, uh, according to the Statute of Treason, uh, involves com compassing or imagining a treasonable act or design. So in other words, if something that definitely isn't treason could set to have the same design or outcomes as an actual act of treason, uh, that those actions were kind of treasonous in a way and might as well be treated as such. Now, the problem with constructive treason is that it was fairly universally rejected as an arbitrary extension of power usually only claimed and used by tyrants. If you read the history of the Philadelphia Convention where the Constitution was being drafted, the founders are very clear that the reason they wanted a precise definition for treason 
in the Constitution was to completely avoid even the slightest possibility of the sort of arbitrary power that constitutes constructive treason from ever possibly becoming part of our laws. And a fun little piece of constitutional trivia that I think not a lot of people know about is that treason is actually the only crime whose definition, permissible means of truth, and limitation on punishment are explicitly provided for right in the text of the Constitution itself in Article 3, Section 3, Clause 1. This defines treason, saying treason against the United States shall consist only in levying war against them or in adhering to their enemies, giving them aid and comfort. No person shall be convicted of treason unless on the testimony of two witnesses to the same overt act or on confession in open court. And the punishment for treason is set out in Article 3, Section 3, Clause 2, and this says, The Congress shall have the power to declare the punishment of treason, but no attainder of treason shall work corruption of blood or forfeiture except during the life of the person attainted. And the reason that treason is the only explicitly defined crime is that the founders wanted to avoid adopting these more tyrannical forms of treason that were known to the common law. Now, there were other forms of treason that they were rejecting as well, such as petite treason, but their primary area of concern was constructive treason. This is very clear in the Philadelphia Convention's words that this is what the drafters were most interested in avoiding, was this very definition of treason that Brunson's lawsuit is seeking to impose. And this carried over into, for example, Federalist 43, where James Madison explained that treason in the Constitution is, is defined to prevent constructive treason, which he refers to in Federalist 43 as, quote, new-fangled artificial treason, end quote. And Governor Morris, the draftsman of the Constitution, explained why the Committee of Detail added the words giving them aid and comfort. They were added by the Committee of Detail to further narrow the definition of treason, and this was done not only to prevent judges from constructing new treasons, but also to prevent Congress from enacting new ones as well. And for those of you who have seen my episode on the treason trial of Aaron Burr, you will remember that in United States v. Burr, the court held that the mere intent to commit treason was not sufficient either. Subsequent cases have concentrated on evidential requirements for proving treason, rather than on definitions of substantive crimes. This means for something to be treason, war must actually be levied. Saying Congress didn't investigate something you thought they should is not an overt act of levying war. And they also saw constructive treason as one of the greatest dangers to individual rights. Because, in the words of the great uh, American jurist and original member of the Supreme Court, James Iredell, 
constructive treason was, quote, an effective and easily abused method for dealing with political opponents, end quote. And the truth of Iridel's concern are plainly visible in Brunson's ability to use constructive treason to conclude that anyone who disagrees with his conclusion that the election was rigged, therefore constitutes someone committing an act of fraud, which is an act of treason, and thus respondents are domestic enemies for adhering to the enemy, giving them aid and comfort. Now, apparently, Brunson doesn't seem to feel that people who disagree with him deserve the same rights that he is complaining about. You know, yes, he is complaining about scumbag politicians. They are a very hateable group of people. I get that. But they are still Americans. If you want to say they have committed treason, there's something you need to do, which is have a treason trial, provide evidence, and get a conviction. Brunson really is the living embodiment of everything he claims to be fighting against. He complains about stolen elections in a lawsuit he filed to steal an election. He accuses people of destroying the Constitution and violating his constitutionally protected individual rights in a trial that demonstrates that he has contempt for the Constitution and that he believes he has the right to rob anyone else of their liberties if he disagrees with them. He is everything he claims to hate. Now, I spend a lot of time on this show complaining about liberals who are destroying the Constitution because they don't care what it says, and they don't pretend to care what it says, and they are happy to simply call any part of it that they don't like dangerous or outdated. And use that as an excuse to pass laws in direct contravention of the Constitution. But what Raylan Brunson's lawsuit proves is that perhaps an even bigger threat to the Constitution than liberals who do not know or care, or even pretend to know or care, what the Constitution says, how it functions, what its limits are, and what rights it protects. People like Raylan Brunson demonstrate to me that perhaps the greater danger is so-called conservatives who say they understand the Constitution and that their actions are to protect it when literally everything they say and do proves that they are every bit as willing to discard it for the sake of their own power. The truly dangerous part here is that somehow so many people who listen to these people say that they are protecting the Constitution when everything else they say proves they have contempt for it, only hear the first part and ignore everything after that. There's an attitude of, well, they say they believe in the Constitution. I guess that's good enough for me. Clearly, whatever they say after that will be perfectly in line with that first claim, and I can simply just blindly support them and trust that whatever they say and do will always be the right thing. Asking nine unelected judges to remove a sitting president and simply put someone else in his place by judicial fiat is not protecting the Constitution. Assigning guilt to people without the privilege of providing evidence or a speedy public trial or due process of law or the right to confront your accusers or a decision based on a conviction of a jury of your peers 
and a simple declaration that all these people are guilty of treason, a crime which even Raylan Brunson in his lawsuit uh, points out and admits, and is quite correct, can come with a death sentence, is not protecting the Constitution. The next time someone tells you that they support the Constitution, listen to what they have to say after that, and don't assume that it must all be good because you like that first part about protecting the Constitution. All right, well, that's really uh, all I got for you guys today. Thank you so much for joining me here uh, on Legalese. Uh, now, if I could ask you to do all those stupid fucking things that, uh, you know, help trigger Al Gore's rhythm, uh, you know, hit that thumbs up button if you like the video, hit the thumbs down button if you dislike the video, uh, please do leave me a comment and let me know what your thoughts are on the episode. I really do like uh, interacting with you guys in the comment section. And, uh, you know, consider subscribing to the channel so you always find out when my newest videos are coming out. So, until next time, this has been Bob for Legalese, talking about the Brunson case, and of course, as always, Cartago de Lenda Est. Fucker